All right, all right, let's go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 9. So, I was told by one of our kids' teachers to not preach too long, because apparently they are mighty rambunctious this morning. Um, And that was my wife. So, she says every time she teaches, I preach long. Um, But we'll see. So, we're continuing uh, this morning our Advent series, uh, Good News for All People. Uh, Last week, we looked at the need for good news in Genesis 3. Um, This morning, we're going to look at the promise for good news in Isaiah 9. Um, And when I was kind of studying for this, I come across an interesting story. Um, I couldn't validate it, but I still thought it was an interesting story, so I'm going to use it. Um, I tried. I searched, and I come across all kind of interesting stuff. And being a history person, it kind of, I really got derailed, and I just started reading like page after page after page of um, all kind of discovery stuff. But so there's a story, and it may just be that, um, concerning the discovery of some of the caverns um, on the north side of Yellowstone. Um, that one of the explorers, when he was searching the area, actually slipped and fell um, a couple hundred feet. Um, into this cavern, and it was pitch black dark, um, pretty much, and he just continued to cry for help every day, um, and, he, and this actually went on for several days, until finally, um, one day, someone kind of exploring the area, um, it could have been a search party, uh, I'm not exactly sure, the story didn't really give clarity on that, but said that they finally heard this faint little cry for help, and, and so they followed that, and they found um, shining lights down in this um, kind of abyss, really, um, this explorer. And, and so they, they were able to get him out, and um, they asked him, you know, what in the world kept you motivated for these number of days to, to continue to cry for help, um, being in this place, pitch black, um, seemingly hopeless? And he said that there was just one little glimmer of light. And so I knew, as long as I could see that light, that there was hope. And that's much of what we'll see today in Isaiah chapter 9. And, and for us, you know, we will definitely face um, difficult days. You know, I think there's this misconception um, that once we come to trust in Christ, that all will be well and all will be easy. But um, that's actually not the case at all, is it? And just with the Israelites in Isaiah 9, there is hope in the midst of darkness. So the main idea for today um, that we will work through is this. The promise of good news is that in the midst of the darkest night, God assures that true light will dawn. If you will, let's stand together. And I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And I'm actually going to back up to verse 22 of chapter 8. Um, That's not on the screen, Paul. Sorry. But I will read through that and then I'll pray for our time together. Starting in chapter 8, verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. 
They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot on the trampling, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning as we gather around your word, let us rejoice in the gift of it. To be able to daily open your word and hear from you is such a gracious gift. And Father, this morning as we look at this text, may we see that there is a promise of good news. That there is hope in the midst of our darkest days. God, we ask that you bless the reading of your word. And that you glorify yourself in our time together. Because the truth is, Father, we know that you know each and every person that's here today. You know what we're going through, where we are, and even what we will go through. And we also know that in the midst of whatever situation we are facing or will face or have faced, that you are good and that your mercy endures forever. So this morning, Father, as we work through this promise, let us rejoice in the good news of Jesus. That we are not quite like the Israelites who longed for the Messiah's coming. We've already known the Messiah to have come. To know that death has been defeated forever. And now we anxiously wait the return of our King. So may your Spirit speak this morning the words that we all need to hear. At this time, bring honor and glory to your name. In the name of that precious gift, our King, our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So again, the promise of good news is that in the midst of the darkest night, God assures that true light will dawn. So again, back to verse 22 of chapter 8. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. See, the people of Israel had turned away from God, and they had, (coughs) excuse me, they had sought hope in things other than God. 
They had turned to other gods. They had turned to other means for satisfaction. They had turned to other means for hope. And their rebellion has led them, had led them into great darkness. And this very real account points to even a much larger scope, and that's mankind. We saw last week in Genesis 3 that in the midst of God's perfect creation, temptation took over and Adam and Eve fell to the craftiness of Satan and sin entered the world and all of creation was marred because of their sin. And now we know because of Genesis 3, verse 15 and verse 21, that God promised that He would not leave His people without hope. That even though the serpent would bruise the heel, that ultimately the serpent's head would be crushed by a promised Messiah. And we saw in Genesis 3.21 that God made a sacrifice and used the skins of those animals to cover His people ultimately portraying the coming of Christ and the sacrifice that God would make, fulfilling Isaiah chapter uh, 53, that it was the will of the Lord to crush His Son in order that we might be covered, that our sins might be covered. And here we see the nation of Israel completely rebelling against God and falling into darkness, losing hope, giving way to sin, And paying the price for it. They had turned to many other things for hope outside of the true God. They had turned to other gods. They had turned to other means. And as trouble came and as darkness set in, they realized that all the other things that they had relied on had no hope. There was no hope in all of those other things. There was only hope in the true God. Ultimately, these people were facing destruction as the Assyrian army was moving in. They had no hope. They were greatly outmatched, greatly outnumbered. Death was imminent. Destruction was coming. But the good news is this, that God promised good news that even in the midst of the darkest night, light would And so you see, verse 22 again, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But look at the good news, verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. See, even in the midst of their rebellion, God never let them go. In the midst of their turning to other ways, other things, other gods, God never forsook His people. And He gives them a glimmer of hope that He will not, just as He had not, leave them and left them. So God's people had seen great darkness And they were in the midst of seeing even greater darkness, potential destruction and more death. But God will not leave. Much 
like in our lives when we face dark and difficult times, we need to understand that joy comes in the morning. That God never leaves or forsakes His people. That God never removes His hand. That even in the darkest of nights, God is truly working all things together for good. See, hope was coming. If you notice, God speaks in the past tense, in a portion of this. But in the latter time, He has made glorious the way of the sea. See, they are in the midst of being attacked, but He's saying, but He's made glorious the way of the sea. Giving them hope that despair and destruction was not going to take them. And the promise for us is this, that God's grace is greater than anything you and I ever do. We need to simply trust Him. See, I know that for most people, the holiday season, Christmas season, is a time of great joy. But there are many just as likely going through extremely difficult times. The loss of loved ones, the recent news of sickness, loss of jobs, pain. There is good news. There always has been and there always will be. That joy comes in the morning. And just as we saw last week, the effects of sin, one of the effects of sin is pain and death. But Christ never removes His hand from His people. And it may not make sense to us at the time, and it may not make sense to us for a long time. But God is working all things together for the good of those who love them, or love Him and are called according to His purpose. He truly loves His people. He loves us greatly. And His hand will never be removed. And it doesn't matter what comes to our lives. It doesn't matter what kind of news we get. It doesn't matter what kind of loss we endure. God is greater. And the interesting thing about Isaiah 9 and in this text is that the areas mentioned here are actually areas that Jesus would eventually spend the majority of His ministry. So darkness will give way to light. See, again, Genesis 3 revealed the need for good news, right? See, once Adam and Eve fell to temptation, we were marred by sin, and, and we understood and we, we learned that in Romans 3 that all have sinned, right? So the sin of Adam and Eve has led all of creation in to sin, and we find in Romans 6 that the wages of that sin is death. But he doesn't stop there. He says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the bad news gives way to good news. In verse 3, we see this. Sorry, back to verse 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought contempt to the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nation. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. In verse 3, and you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with, their, as with joy of the harvest, 
as they are glad when they divide the spoil. See, the result would be the growth of God's people. Not the destruction of God's people, but the growth of God's people. As they rejoice in God's gracious provision. So darkness will come, but darkness will give way to light. And as we move on in verses 4 through 7, we see the dawn of light. Verses 4 through 7 gives this glimpse of the promise of the coming light, the promise of hope. It answers the question, well, how can we have hope? How can the light burst forth through darkness? Verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle to mold and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. See, God promises freedom from the burden of slavery, the burden of sin. It reminds us of what we read in Judges 6 and 7, right? Where Gideon is called to build an army to go against the great Assyrian army, which has accumulated over 100,000 plus soldiers. So Gideon sends word to um, the, the lay people and they gather 32,000 soldiers. Now, obviously, they're greatly outnumbered. You have 100,000 plus, and then you have 32,000. But Gideon knew that God could use them and that God was promising them that they would fight and that they would have power over them. But then in the midst of gathering 32,000, God basically sends a message to Gideon that that was too many. And they reduce that number down to 300 men. And in this battle, God gives clear instructions to Gideon that they should surround the army with those 300. And they should carry with them a jar. And a jar inside of the jar would be a torch. And, and they had strict instructions. So when, the, when Gideon would yell and blow the trumpet, they would shatter the jars and shine the torches. And so at Gideon's call, that's exactly what they did. And the army that they were surrounded absolutely lost their minds. And they began to fight each other and destroy each other and flee. And with 300 men, Gideon and that army defeated 100,000 plus. Which is simply a display of God's power. And it's a picture of what we see here. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. There was no hope, but then they had hope. They had hope because of the power of God. And he says, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle to mold and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That is a symbol that there would be no more fighting, that peace was coming. There was no need for all of those instruments any longer. So an unlikely victory is only possible because of the power of God. See, every one of us here are bound by sin shackles, and there is absolutely no hope for freedom on our own. But as we see in Ephesians 2, 4, we see two amazing words, but God. Even though we are born into sin, and even though we are shackled by the burden of sin, 
there is a way for those shackles to be removed. For the work of Christ as a gift from the Father. And for by grace, we are saved. So we can only be saved by God's power. We can't be saved on our own work. We can't be saved on our own merit. We can't be saved unless it is God who intervenes. We can't see light unless light shines forth. And there is no light except for God himself. So in Jesus' death and his resurrection, those shackles are destroyed and light shines forth. And I don't know, maybe you're here and maybe you're going through some of those difficult times. Maybe sin has completely weighed you down and you're at a place where you feel like there is absolutely no hope. There's hope. There's hope in Christ. There's no hope in church attendance. There's no hope in giving. There's no hope in serving. There's no hope in doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. There's only hope in trusting the work of Jesus. See, we could work ourselves to death trying to appease God and trying to atone for our own sin, but we can't do that. The only hope that we have for redemption is in Christ. That's why it says, and it is by grace that we have been saved. Not of ourselves, it is a gift of God so that we don't boast. Like I've told you before, I know myself, if I was able to save myself, I would boast about that quite often. But my boast can only be in Christ, in Christ alone. It's His work that saves me. It's His work alone that brings redemption to those marred by sin. And here it was only God who could give them hope. Just as on the day of Midian, where the only hope for Gideon and those 300 was for God to intervene. There's no possible way 300 men can defeat defeat an army of over 100,000 plus. But with God, all things are possible. So I want to encourage you, regardless of what you're going through, there is hope. You want freedom from sin? Turn to Jesus. You want to be freed from those shackles? Turn to Christ. Let's look at verse 6 together. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, if you were the people of Israel and you are about to be destroyed by the Assyrian army, what sort of hope would you be longing for? Probably military intervention some great ruling power to come to your aid. But this is their news. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. But the promise goes on. It says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Probably not the promise they were looking for. See, the gift of light comes in the gift of a son. But this is not just any son, right? This is God's son. The son of David's lineage that they had longed for for thousands of years. 
This is a king to end all kings. This is the king of kings. 750 years before Jesus is born, they get the news that hope is coming. Now, you could probably imagine the angst there, right? They're, again, about to be destroyed by an army, and they get the news that they're going to be delivered in 750 years, right? I mean, you think about it, our country is just over 200 years old, and three times that is the amount of time that this promise was given before the birth of Christ. But notice the names, right? So, they're promised a son. They're promised a son that would be the king of kings. But notice the names that are given. A king who would be sovereign over all things would be a wonderful counselor. He's good in all of his ways. He's omniscient. He's all wise. Again, like we've echoed from Romans 8, he is working all things together. A wonderful counselor. He's good. But not only is he a wonderful counselor, but he's the mighty God. So he's not just a mere boy. He's not just a mere child. He's not even just a mere man. He's the God man. He's God in the flesh. Yahweh. Now this is important because it's not just Jesus, the Son of God, but it's Jesus, the God man. So when Jesus says, I am, this is also the same sentiment. He's echoing that he's not just from God, he's God. Just like one of the great Christmas songs we just rang, he's true, rang, sang, he's true God of true God. Very God of very God, light of light. He's the wonderful counselor, he's the mighty God, he's the everlasting father. He's a father that's always seeking the good of his children, never wavering in that. This weekend, me and Allison went Christmas shopping, and we saw some incidents where um, some, some men were not very gracious fathers to their children in the chaos of what was going on. And it was just a quick reminder to me that our God is always looking over the good of his people. And I know it's hard to get that sometimes, and it's easy to question. When we go through those difficult seasons, when we go through those painful moments, to question the goodness of God, to question the presence of God. But he's always there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And I'm sure if you have trusted Christ that You can look back on your life and you can see times where you wanted to question him or maybe you did question him and you can look back now and you can see how God was working for your good. He's always working for good. Always seeking the good of his children and he's reigning from everlasting to everlasting. But he's also the Prince of Peace. He's the one ruler that could come that will put an end to All others. The one ruler who can bring ultimate peace. See, when David was promised that he would become king, the people rejoiced. They even would sing songs. David is slain, is 
10,000, Saul is slain as thousands. People love David for a season. But this king, his throne will never end. He is the righteous judge. Not a righteous judge, not a ruling king, the king, the righteous judge. And again, at the end of, or at part of that, he says that every garment will be rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. I mean, no, no more need of that. At the return of Christ, the second advent, when Christ returns to set up his eternal kingdom, he will do so to make all things new. No more tears, no more fighting, no more pain, all good, led by the glorious King of the universe. See, this child, this King who was promised by God is unlike any other. He's divine. See, like David, again, was set apart by God to rule and God used mightily this King His throne would never cease. He is the King of Kings. The true King. The gracious King. He is a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. And in verse 7 it says, And of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, again, in Genesis 3, God said, promised that an offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. And here he is. God promised Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed Through Isaac or Isaac's offspring? Isaac's offspring. Jesus. And here's that promise. See, this blessing isn't that a worldly ruler, a mighty military power, someone coming in pomp and circumstance would come to rule over all things and put an end to everything in the way that they thought. See, the good news they were promised, the gift of this son was the gift of hope, hope of salvation. Not in what they longed for, but what they needed. A sacrificial Messiah who would pronounce His coming through the angels to lowly shepherds. Who would live as a poor carpenter. Who would associate with people that royalty would not associate with. who would die a despicable death for the good of His people. See, it's this Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will take the throne of David and rule for all eternity, destroying sin and shining the light of hope for all to see. See, the good news, the promise of good news for the Israelites is that hope was coming. The good news for us is that hope has come. Now the question is, is whether or not we actually are trusting in that promise. 
Have we heard the story of Christ coming and trusted God's gift? We've said it a hundred times, if not more, that the good news, the gospel, doesn't make a lot of sense to natural man. I mean, no other story does God come to His people, right? God demands His people come to Him. No other story would God not necessarily even come, but even give His life for the good of His people. And yet here, God comes and God dies. Only to rise again. I mentioned last week the story of Aslan giving his life to save Edmund, the traitor in the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's another line in that that is quite interesting to me. There's this moment before Aslan regains rule that they say it's always... Winter, but never Christmas. As in to say, it's always cold, but there's no joy. It's always bleak, but there's never hope. And then the cries just begin to ring through Narnia. The Aslan is on the move. And they have hope. They have hope for the first time in hundreds of years. Throughout the Old Testament, we see story after story of God's gracious provision for His people. Only for them to trust Him for a season and then rebel. And then He graciously gives them judges, in the book of Judges, a Gideon, to help them defeat the army that's about to destroy them. But then you get to Isaiah, and you actually see several instances. You know, Isaiah is called the fifth gospel, which is interesting because it was written, again, 700 years before Christ is born. And it points time and time again to the coming of a Savior, to the coming of a Messiah, who would be crushed at the will of the Father. That the government would be on his shoulders. That all pain would cease. That all darkness would flee. That this Messiah would give of himself to redeem his people. And so the question for us is are we trusting God's gift of his word? that tells of God's gift of His Son. Again, Ephesians 2 clearly paints the picture of our hopelessness, which is eradicated by the gift of God. But God. Darkness will always give way to light. So again, I don't know what you're going through completely. I don't know where you're at. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've never really been through anything tragic, difficult. 
I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you will. That's just the reality of following the Lord. I mean, Christ even said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. But that bad news, again, is always followed with good news. It's worth it. It's worth it to press on for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why Paul could say, I count all things as rubbish just for the surpassing power of knowing that you are my Lord. He counted all things loss. Paul had everything, but he was willing to trust the Lord. For me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Are you trusting the Lord like that? Or are you simply just leaning into a little bit of Jesus when times get tough, but then they get good and it's, okay, just, I got it. So the reality of following Christ is doing so for all of life, by His grace and for His glory. I remember when I was on staff at First Baptist here. We had a group of young guys who, man, they just, they got on fire for the Lord. And they would leave youth on Wednesday night going to gas stations and grocery stores and restaurants and just sharing the gospel. And my youth pastor, who I was working for at the time, he just warned them. He said, you've got to understand, this, this, <laughs> this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. And so we come up with the great idea of let's take them to some of our older saints. Let's let them sit and listen. And we went to one lady in, in particular and just listened to her talk about her journey in following Christ. She had been a member of First Baptist for 70 years at that point. You know, I'm not sure if any of those guys are actually walking with the Lord right now. Following Christ is a journey. It's not a sprint. It's a long journey. It's someone who can go the entire AT, right, without giving up when it gets a little cold or windy or rainy. Or... It's... Never stopping. Why? Because God never stops. As the Jesus Storybook Bible says, the love of God, it never stops, it never gives up. It's an always and forever type of love, and that's what it means to follow Christ. It's an always and forever journey. And I can only imagine... the joy of being one of those faithful saints who's truly trusted in Christ and has truly followed the Lord. When we come to the end of our life and we stand before the Lord and we hear, well done, 
That makes it all worth it. Are we going to miss out on certain things in life? Sure. But as Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Are we resting in the promise of this son who has come to destroy sin and death forever? Are we still trying to do it on our own? For by grace you have been saved. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So if you've never truly trusted in Christ, I urge you to do so today. Let's pray. Our Father, what a gracious gift your Son is. To bring hope, to bring peace, to bring life. bring reconciliation to set the captives free. Father, I pray for those who are here today who have never truly trusted in you. That they would repent of playing the game of cultural Christianity and they would truly trust in the Savior. God, I pray for those here who are believers who are just battling through difficult times in a difficult season, that they would be reminded that hope is found in you alone, that they would lift their eyes to the hills and see that you are the help that comes. As your word promises Light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Let us rejoice in the light of Christ and the good news that He saves sinners. In Jesus' name we pray.